Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. This is Wildcat Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. It is amazing how fast a season go- can go from it is to it was. And it felt like it also happened very quickly. In Madison Square Garden, New York City, the world's most famous arena, where four players from K-State call home. Season comes to an end. The hands of the Owls of Florida Atlantic. But the final score on Saturday, 79-76. to Welcome into Wildcat Insider. I am Mitch Fortner with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson. I, I just want to say first thing that this was a very special season and everybody obviously knows that from the fans showing up to the airport with the team coming back to Manhattan and showing up in, in droves to welcome them back win or lose was very amazing and that was a great representation of the respect that this fan base now has once again for the basketball program certainly for, with drum tang in this team the team was picked to finish dead last in the big 12 and they made it to the Elite Eight. I understand right now it probably still really stinks. And it does feel weird. I I pulled up the bracket just a few moments ago and saw Florida Atlantic in the Final Four. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, First time they've ever been into the tournament, right? Second time in the tournament. Second time in the tournament. First time winning a game in the tournament, and now they're off to their Final Four, first ever Final Four. San Diego State and Miami are both off to their first Final Four, and UConn is the blue blood in the NCAA tournament. It still feels a little bit weird. But K-State was so close to making it to a Final Four, it hurts. And it still hurts two days later. Well, it's going to hurt for a while. There's no doubt about that. And I think you said it well. It goes from is to was pretty quickly, right? But that's the finality of it. I I remember Jerome Tang saying that after the loss to TCU in Kansas City in the Big 12 quarterfinals. Guys, we got to get this together. To make a run, we're going to have to be pretty consistent. And through three games, I thought they were. In this particular game, they were off a bit, and I think they ran into a team that was very hot, very confident, played well, um, and uh, slid by a very good K-State team ending what was a remarkable season at 26-10. and 10. It, uh, It's supposed to hurt, as Bill Snyder taught us years ago, when you put something or so much into it. And I think 
the hurt will linger for a while. Uh, but like you, I think at, at some point, people will look back and appreciate the year for what it was. And I'm sure we'll outline all of the things that happened, all of the accomplishments, including, as you said, uh, the people that showed up yesterday at the airport. And not only did they show up, they, you know, the, the plane was a little bit late in taking off. They had to reroute. Um, we were probably, I'm going to guess, maybe 40 or 45 minutes later than uh, everybody thought. They hung in there and gave the, the players and the coaches an incredible ovation when they walked through that door at, at the MHK airport. That meant a lot, I think, to a team that was hurting a little bit. You know, and um, I know a lot of people have commented about seeing the piece on social media about Coach Tang addressing the FAU team, but I thought the way he handled his own own team was was very very good too. He was proud of him, and he should be. We all are. Well, and I, I definitely want to get into this Florida Atlantic game, the NCAA tournament. Of, of course, we're going to talk about Marquise Noel and his legendary run. We're going to hear from him in his breakout interview after the game. I will say, you know. As fans, it does hurt a lot. You know, this is now the third time in the last 13 years that K-State's made it to an Elite Eight. They take on a mid-major, and they lose. The Butler one was, you know, that's a five-seed Butler team. Uh, some were project a lot of national media were projecting them before the tournament to go to the Final Four. They played for a national championship. K-State played a double overtime game against Xavier two, you know, two days prior. Very short rest for that K-State team. You know, that eight-seed K-State team that made it to the Elite Eight in, in 2018 was, you know, probably not expecting to go that far. They run into a 16-seed in the second round. They upset Kentucky. Before you know it, now they're playing for Elite Eight against Loyola Chicago, who hits a bunch of insane threes mm-hmm. in a late eight game to win that one. But then you run into Florida Atlantic, and I think a lot of people didn't understand how good of a Florida Atlantic team that was. That had won over 30 games heading into the NCAA tournament. Seven of their nine guys of the rotation can just jam in threes and shoot very well. Um, you know, you know. sometimes you just don't take the um, – what am I trying to say here? You don't appreciate the, 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 the opponent as much as you should heading into such a big game like that. And to me, it's not about, though – the, just the name of the jersey. That was a very good team. Yeah, you know the pain where that comes from is okay. It wasn't so much anymore. All right, this is the last place team, the Big Twelve. I think we were over it at that point. We knew how good of a team this K State team was. I think where the a lot of the pain comes from is, of course, you really wanted to see him win and get to a Final Four for the first time in fifty nine years. But now you've seen how the bracket has played out, and you know who would be waiting for you on the other side and. In San Diego State, and now you're really thinking, man, this may have just turned into one of the biggest what ifs in K State history. Sure, but I don't know that you can think about it like that. And I think that's the thing that hurts for a lot of K State people. You mentioned the three and thirteen, and Butler, Loyola of Chicago, and now FAU. All of those teams were the quote mid-major teams, but none of them had mid-major teams in that particular season. From my perspective, I've been asked a, a lot of today in, in interviews and just by fans in general, is there a block there with K-State and, you know, what have you? And I, and I think it is somewhat difficult that when you, like, like the euphoria, if you look back, euphoria of beating a really good Xavier team. And maybe there was a little bit of, okay, we, 
we're there. Just go take care of business. In this particular case, you win a crazy, scintillating game against Michigan State, okay, after beating Kentucky, and now here is Florida Atlantic. And I, I, I don't know how to say this other than maybe there is a little bit there with the name recognition stuff. Just I, I'm not saying the team wasn't prepared or took I, – I can promise you they took FAU seriously. But the reality of it is, is FAU was even better than I think we thought they were. And they played like it. They played with supreme confidence. And what else happened? Well, K-State was off a little bit on that day. Sadly, that's the case. Free throws, rebounds, foul trouble, a few bad possessions, one stretch of six and a half minutes without a field goal. I don't care who you're playing, those things get you beat. And they get you beat a lot, and almost always in a regional final. Bringing up the, the name recognition, I, and I brought it up, um, it, it's so wild that, that this run, you do run into Coach Cal and Tom Izzo. Sure. And you beat them both. Right. That, I mean, that in just in itself is a, is a fantastic run. Yeah. Two in a row, you beat Hall of Fame head coaches mm-hmm. to get to the Elite Eight. And that's the hard part. Yeah. You've got to win four times to get to the Final Four. It didn't used to always be that way, but you do. You have to win four. And that the farther you go, more times than not, the harder it is. And I think that was the case here. You know, it, The reason people say it's so hard to win a championship is because how many times have you heard announcers or writers or, you know, pretty sharp sports people in general say, you know, to go through their 6-0, and you need to have one little lucky streak there. It's happened to many champions. I think you can also equate that down to the level of the regional final to get to the final four. Four games winning against that kind of high-level competition is tough. I remember saying last week, and we said it, Montana State was a darn good basketball they, team. Uh, yeah. 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 Kentucky, when they're hitting on all cylinders, same. Michigan State, I felt they were even a little bit better than that and an elite shooting three point team. We caught them on a night where they shot and made 13 threes and still won the game. Still beat them. Now, <laughs> when you look at this game against FAU, um, they made nine threes. And I felt like you could probably survive it if they were in that 7 to 8 vicinity. But they get into that 9 to 13, 14 made threes range, then you better match it. K-State made 10. What K-State couldn't overcome was 12 of 18 at the foul line and getting outboarded 44 to 22 mm-hmm. and a 15 to 2 FAU advantage on second chance points because of all of those 14 offensive rebounds. That was monster, monster in the game. Yeah, and there was, I mean, there was, talk about the emotional drainage <laughs> through this NCAA tournament where K-State, they never led by double figures. Their largest lead against FAU was seven with 12 minutes to go. Couldn't hold on to that lead. I mean, leads were very hard for either team mm-hmm. in this run to hold on to, with the exception of the Montana State matchup where K-State got out to a double-digit lead and held on to it for the, for the rest of the game. But Kentucky was just... Emotionally draining till the last minute and a half, and we get those back-to-back threes from Ishmael suiting Keontae Johnson to kind of seal the deal there. 
Michigan State game, it comes down to the final possession. Mm-hmm. And K-State had to get a defensive stop after Ish Masood knocked down a, a mid-range jumper. And Marquise Noel had 19 assists in the game. And then FAU, it just, unfortunately, just couldn't get that clutch moment, right? That, that yeah. was just the one thing that was missing. You mentioned everything that wasn't going right for the Cats. And still, when it came down to the very end, it's a one-point game. Mm-hmm. And K-State's right there. Just unfortunately, after multiple clutch moments in the past, in the previous games, just couldn't find one. I think for me, one of the stretches in the game, and this was kind of the start of that, if I have all of my memory here correct, there was a point where K-State was up 63-57. You're feeling okay about it. And that's kind of where they had about three possessions in a row where they didn't really get anything And that, I think, gave FAU an extra little boost or whatever you want to call that, and they took advantage of it. They hit some hard shots in the last six or seven minutes of the game, and they outplayed K-State in the last six, seven, eight minutes. That's hard to say because K-State, one thing about this team, you could say thousands of things about them, but the one thing that they wanted to be all season long was the toughest team on the floor. And I think for a majority of the season, they were exactly that. But maybe this particular day, as hard as it hurts to say, I think maybe in this one, FAU was just a little bit tougher, especially in the last seven, eight, nine minutes. And they showed it with their effort. Yeah, they did. They, they it, you know, K-State, I, I, I wondered, you know, playing the extra five minutes, if that would take a toll. You know, it, there's not a whole lot of rest. You don't get a whole lot of downtime between – you know, like a Sweet 16 to Elite Eight game, where they overtime make a yeah. make a difference. You know, I, I know they would never admit to it, but you never know. I mean, it, yeah. it's a very long, stressful process yeah. to get there. It's a good point because we talk about the extra overtime situation a few years ago with Xavier into Butler. Okay, so it's a fair thought to bring it up again here. What I would say is, is I for me personally. I go back to this over and over and over and over. Kansas State had a, depending on which source you like, uh, an All-American type player that played only 18 minutes. Yeah, That will haunt me for a long, long time. Uh, and I didn't think a couple of those calls against him were oh, very good calls. I, I pulled my hair out on a couple of them. But, you know, at the end of the day, I also don't think that the game – was called the same way from a physicality standpoint that the first three were, but you got to adjust to that, and unfortunately it just didn't play out for K-State. Well, I mean, Marquise Noel trying to put that team on his back oh, yeah. in the game against Florida Atlantic is just a, another piece of his legacy that's he's leaving behind in the story he was for the NCAA tournament. We're going to hear from Marquise Noel in a little bit as well. Also, the legendary run, I want to talk about it with you, uh, Wyatt, coming up at 5.10. Real quick, before we take this break, to add to the emotional drainage I think we've all had from the last couple of weekends, lead changes in the last three games. All very <laughs> dramatic games. Do you know how many lead changes there were total? Yeah, I knew at one point, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Throw it out there. 40. Yeah, that's a lot. 40 lead changes in the last three games. Yeah. So that's Kentucky, Michigan State, FAU, and all of those were hard games. I guess you're just augmenting the point that to get to that level and to advance to the Final Four, you better be pretty darn good for, you know, 60 minutes, you know, 
or 20 minutes and a half times three games. It's mm-hmm. hard to do, man. It's hard to do. All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from who has been the story of the tournament. He has become America's sweetheart, it feels like, and Marquise <laughs> Noel. And before we get to his breakout interview, which we're going to hear in just a moment, another piece of him being America's sweetheart, Dream Dowling put a video out there on social media on how just of good of a guy Marquise Noel is. Coming up next on Wildcat Insider. Well, the theme of the first segment was pain. I think I think this should be about praise in this next segment. And a lot of the next segments will be about praise and what this season has meant to us K-State fans of what we've seen unfold the last four games. Not just the season, but also you know these, these four games in the run the NCAA tournament was for this K-State men's basketball team. And you can't talk about the run without talking about Marquise Noel. His two-year run as a cat has come to an end. And he became the story of the NCAA tournament. I mean, K-State as a team certainly did. For not only winning games, but you know the, the preseason clapping to the little baby song in the locker room. Teams have already started to copy that. Florida Atlantic, as a matter of fact, you know, maybe they were taunting a little bit, but they were doing that as a celebration in the locker room afterwards. Uh, is really caught the attention of America. And this run for K-State has put K-State basketball on the map nationally. If you hadn't heard about Drum Ting and Marquise Noel yet, which is crazy to think you hadn't, but you, you, you definitely did if you were watching any NCAA tournament action. And this stat came out after the loss to Florida Atlantic that Marquise Noel was 80-plus points, 50-plus assists, 10-plus steals. He is the only player in NCAA tournament history to do that. First ever. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that Marquise Noel has gone on one of the greatest runs in NCAA tournament history. Without a doubt. Here's the other thing that caught my eye today. I mentioned 40-minute games. K-State played, <laughs> think about this now, they played one overtime game. So what, what are we talking here, 165 minutes? Does that sound right to you? I'm not a oh, mathematician. you're putting me on this, yeah. But l- let's, <laughs> let's say it's 165 minutes. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, 80 and 80, 160 plus 5, huh, 165. Marquise Noel played 159 minutes and 49 seconds. <laughs> well, and he missed a couple of minutes for a very, at the time, scary, scary yes. reason. Yeah. That was early in the second half against Michigan State where he potentially sprained ankle or turned his ankle, and he, he, can't, he can't put anything on that. Mm-hmm. No weight. He had to be helped off by a couple of, uh, I'm not sure who it was, but trainers or whoever it yeah, was. Luke Sauber. Okay. Okay. Uh, Dr. McAtee there, okay. uh, helping, I think, out a little, if memory serves me correctly. Well, and I saw, and he sits down at the end of the bench, and I see um, Nate Aubrey tap him on the back a little bit. I'm like, oh, God, mm-hmm. this isn't good. Well, it didn't look good, <sighs> and I think everybody's heart sunk. Yeah. And yet, here he is, comes back within, what, less than four minutes of actual playing time, or about that. Um <laughs> Yeah, he, he just has a big heart, heart of a lion, and, and the numbers are just crazy. 
I mean, 54 assists, 94 points. You start to equate all of that out in the four games, he averaged 23.5 points a game and 13.5 rebounds, shot 45% from the floor rounding up, because it's 44.6, 41.9 or 42% from three, and made 23 out of 25 free throws. Hard over height was the, the best catchphrase. Mm-hmm. It was the best, because that's exactly what Marquise Noel is. Yeah. 5'7 point guard, and he is the star of the show. He could put a team on – he makes a joke that the reason, uh, you know, 5'7", the advantage that he has is if he falls down, he doesn't fall as far as everybody else. <laughs> he, he, yeah. he made that joke in the Greensboro uh, region you know, for the first and second round, and I thought that was very funny. But the, the ankle injury and him coming back in a couple of minutes later, banks in at three, and, I mean, he is hobbling back to the other end of the floor. There's your heart over height. That's where heart takes over – and gets him through that game. And not to mention, in the same game, he sets the NCAA tournament record for 19 assists. Yeah, that is, that is one that I think could stand a while. I mean, how long is a while? Would you guess five years, 10 years, 30 years? I mean, who knows? There'll be somebody who comes along again and does something similar to this. But at the end of the day, it is so special. And I, I think that is among the many things that uh, we're going to look back on and w- with great satisfaction of what this group did. And speaking of Hart, we saw the clip after the game where Jerome Tang, right before the locker room door, he is high-fiving everybody and says, keep your head up. Yep. And he hugs his players after every game, keep your head up after a loss. I will say I've been in a lot of heartbroken locker rooms, and I've seen a lot of tears I've seen a lot of guys have trouble getting through questions because they're so sad. You know, Keontae was very emotional. That was a tough loss for him on Saturday. You know, Marquise Noel kept his head up and he was ready to take on any question. And we had one more chance to talk to Marquise Noel as media with him in a Wildcat jersey before he moves on to the next level of basketball. And I hope it's the highest level. Marquise Noel, his breakout interview after the loss to Florida Atlantic. At the end of the day, what was the what was the difference between you and them out there on the court? Um, I feel like they were scrappier than we were. Um, they got a lot of 50-50 balls. I feel like they wanted it more, but you know, my guys competed at a high level. I mean, we was picked to finish, you know, last in the Big 12. We made a historic run in, in March. I couldn't be more grateful and thankful. Um, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to FAU for how they played. How much was Keontae taken out of his game because of the early fouls? I mean, I feel like he got a lot of ticky-tack fouls early on, and that, you know, he, we missed him out there on the court. He played 18 minutes. I mean, he didn't even play a full half today. Um, so that was key. I mean, he only got seven shots up. I mean, we, we could have used him more. But, um, you know, it came down to the 50-50 balls, I feel like. Uh, the one on the free throw, the two free throw uh, box outs that we missed and that they came up with was key because it ran time down, um, and that's that wasn't in our favor today. Marquise, can you walk us through that last play and maybe which, how you wish it would have gone a little differently? I try to get Ish a shot because the right wing is where he you know, makes most of his threes at. Um, they closed out hard, uh, kind of trapped him. I mean, that was that, but... You know, I'm just I'm just blessed and grateful. Nobody expected us to be here. 
we were picked last in the Big 12 to being third and to now in Elite Eight. I mean, you know, that's that's a blessing in itself. So I'm I'm very optimistic about it. After during that six-minute stretch from about the eight-minute mark to the two-and-a-half-minute mark, we all didn't get any field goals. What was going on with the offense? Um, we didn't have ball reverses or paint touches. I mean, that's what it came down to. Um, we wasn't cutting how we usually cut, and they were able to just, you know, get defensive rebounds, leak out in transition, and score some easy buckets. But credit to FAU. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. I got to play in March, uh, March Madness. Um, we wasn't projected to be here. Um, nobody knew who Marquise was prior to this, prior to this tournament. Um, and I know this young core group is going to come in in the off season. Work their tails off um, and make it to the final four and win a championship. What's your biggest takeaway playing under Coach Tang this year? Man, it's so much. I mean, I, that guy is different. Um, the power of the heart, the power of speaking things into existence, um, having crazy faith, um, and just, you know, being optimistic about everything. I mean, he's one of a kind. I mean, you can't explain it. Um, when that final buzzer went off, you know, I was just thinking about all the memories and all the work and all the talks you know, that we had, you know, as a group. And, you know, it, it was a fun ride. The way you embraced all of you guys coming into the locker room, just what was that moment to you? I mean, it meant a lot because he's like a father figure to me. Um, he's somebody that I come to. I'm on and off the court. Um, he truly cares about his players. And, you know, I wanted to win this one for him. Um, so that's why, you know, it kind of hit a little different uh, because, you know, it started with two players to 15, to being, you know, last in the Big 12, to making a Elite Eight run, I mean, it was a, it was like a Cinderella ride, you know, this year. Um, and I'm just truly, you know, truly thankful. Marquise, what do you hope Kansas State fans remember about you when you move on? That I'm a winner. I mean, I, I would give it my all. Um, and that, you know, I gave my heart and soul to K-State um, on and off the court, you know, um, to see the fans happy to see my teammates happy and his coaching staff. Um, so I just want them to remember, you know, how much I invested and how much I loved and cared about K-State. It's Marquise Noel after the game. Uh, many times reminded us about that, you know, I, I think what he was saying when he kept, kept bringing up, you know, we were projected to finish last, we weren't supposed to be here, trying to tell us and remind us that, you know, the loss to Florida Atlantic isn't the whole story about K-State basketball. It's a much bigger story than just one loss or maybe a couple of wins in the NCAA tournament. It's a whole journey that this team took. And when I was hearing Marquise Noel talk about Jerome Tang and what he had to say about calling him a father figure uh, and all the nice things he said about their bond, and you know, it made me think about an early press conference that we had in the season. Marquise Noel was, was playing pretty well, and somebody brought up, you know, like, you know, what's the difference in your game this year? And he said, well, Coach Tang allows me to play free and be myself on the floor and shoot the shots I want to shoot. And I've worked on these long-range threes and my passing, and he lets me be in control. You know, it's not, that's not an exact quote, obviously, but it's something around that. I'm like, yeah. man, you know what? That, that might be one of the biggest factors in what this season was, and that was just Drum Tang letting Marquise Noel be Marquise Noel. It's an interesting balance because I remember even saying on this show that I thought Marquise maybe could have or should have been thought of as the most improved player in the Big 12 this past season yeah, based on where he was a year ago. Instead of K.J. Adams. Well, it's a very, very, very big leap from 
12.4 points and five assists to <laughs> what he did in league play at 19 and a half, and for the season he averaged 8.3 assists per game. Um, all across the board, he was better. And yet I think he played smarter basketball than he did a year ago, valued the ball more. Sure, he made some turnovers. We, we've talked about that for the duration of the time he's been here. But he also makes things happen that most others can't do. And so I think he appreciated Coach Tang letting him be himself. Um, and yet I think Coach Tang had an influence on him of value the ball, value possessions. You're our leader. It's, it's important that you handle things the right way. And I think everybody embraced their roles. We've, we've said all season long, think about you know, a, a Desi Sills uh, going from being a star player on his team and a 35-minute-a-game guy to maybe the sixth man on this team for most of the last part of the season or most of the season until the last, what, eight, nine games. Uh, you can certainly say the same for a Tyke Green who played only about 10 minutes a game and Bebe Igiola who played about 11 minutes a game. Those guys were pretty legitimate stars where they were before. So it was accepting roles and doing it the K-State way. Um, I, I salute them all for that because it's not easy. And, and throwing <laughs> you know, 15 guys together um, in the springtime and through the summer and then off we go when school starts you know, late August and then – if you remember those first couple of two or three early games, Coach Tang said, when I asked him, what's your biggest concern? Turnovers. They got better at it. They got better at most everything. They, they weren't, if they had a, a little bit of an issue, I think you'd say turnovers and maybe from time to time rebounding. Yeah. But, boy, they got better and better and tougher and better. Well, in the, uh, in the Florida Atlantic game case, they turned, o- turned it over 12 times. Uh, and, honestly, that is a below-average number. Mm-hmm. Uh, against Michigan State, they turned it over five times, and against Kentucky, turned it over eight times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there you go. Some they certainly did much better with in the NCAA tournament. What it mattered most was clean up some of those turnovers. And really, mm-hmm. I mean, against Florida Atlantic, a lot of those turnovers was probably just like Coach Tang said. What we try to do too many times mm-hmm. is hit the home run instead of singles. Yeah, yeah. He was special though, and in the, in the tournament run, I guess to to cap this part of it off, he just. You know, and I and I think maybe at times Saturday he tried to do too much, knowing his his quote partner and running mate was on the bench and unavailable, mm-hmm. and that happens. You know, these guys wanted this so bad. Trust me on that, and it hurt when they couldn't pull it off. But it's hard to fault them for everything they've done, and as far as they got based on what everybody thought they were in the beginning, they were nothing like. At the end, they were nothing like everybody thought they were going to be. Well, that's, and, that's pretty satisfying. And I mean, I'm I'm all for opening up the conversation once again on who should have been Big Twelve Player of the Year. <laughs> um, I'm, I will advocate for Marquise Noel for everything that is available to him when it comes to accolades. There's no doubt about that. He was named All East Region uh, Most Valuable Player, even though his team did not win the East Region. He got Most Valuable Player. Um, he's a third-team All-American, and by the way, you know, Coach Tang brought it up after the game against Florida Atlantic that he feels like Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson should have their name up in the rafters, their jersey up in the rafters, um, and you know that, you know, it's certainly maybe a conversation for another day. Obviously, that wouldn't happen for a long time, but for Marquise Noel, 
um, as I was doing research earlier today about exactly what his numbers stack up in K-State history, there is an actually loud argument for Marquise Noel to have his name and jersey up in the rafters for for eternity. Have that number one up there. I don't know that you'd get too many K-State fans arguing with you that as a two-year transfer player, it's different in the old days. They used to call them community college transfers or whatever, yeah. and that was your, you know, you didn't have the kind of transferring you do now from, from one Division one school to another for the most part. It happened occasionally, but some of these guys are going to four and five schools. But for him to play the two seasons that he did and you start putting all of those numbers together, it, it would probably rival any other transfer student that K-State has had here, whether it be a Norris Coleman, a Mitch Richmond, or, you know, all the way back, you know, to some of the guys back in the, in the 60s. Um, pretty remarkable stuff, and I, I'm convinced that he'll be there. You could argue all day long whether, you know, Keontae being here a year should be, but I don't think there's much of an argument on Keese. Well, and I hope Keese, I, I, I think for the most part, he quieted the critics. Those critics, what they would chirp about, the turnovers. He has too many turnovers. And, I mean, you know, yep, sometimes, yeah, he certainly did. Yeah. Uh, shouldn't have thrown some passes that he did. The yes, that that's true. Uh, but I will say, let me, let me finish off with this. So his K-State career, which was two seasons, he had a assist-to-turnover ratio, ratio of 2.15. I said many months ago, Marquise Noel always makes up for his mistakes. That 2.15 assist-to-turnover ratio is second best in Kansas State history. That says a lot. Here's one more for you. I figured this up today. He finished the year with 18 consecutive double-digit games, 338 points. That equates out to 18.8. But even maybe more impressively, eight. Now, again, in an 18-game stretch, he had eight games of 20-plus, one game of 30-plus, and five double-doubles. It's a pretty good finish. Coming up at 525, we're going to hear from K-State Athletics Director Gene Taylor. More Wildcat Insider after the break. Our phone number is 537-1350 if you want to call the show. Get more into uh, the K-State men's basketball run in the, to the Elite Eight. Third in the last 13 years. 525 will hear from K-State Athletics Director Gene Taylor. And one other thing I want to bring up about the uh, the March Madness run for, for K-State. Man, Ish Masood hit some gigantic shots. Man, he, he, I mean, talk about stepping up at the right time. All four of his threes that he made against Michigan State were huge, including one that wasn't a three. That was a baseline jumper, put Casey up three in the, on the last possession or last before uh, the, the steal and layup for Marquise Noel. But even the go-ahead three against Kentucky, I mean, man, <laughs> Swish Masood yeah. really showed up in the NCAA tournament. I thought, man, it was really fun to, to see him have that moment, especially – he he came out when he came into the game in the garden. You know, it was his debut in the garden. New York kid from Harlem, and he he, he shorts a, a free throw. I'm like this. Oh man, he's nervous. 
I mean, he's he might be the most nervous guy in the gym. And there's a bunch of guys from New York in the gym right now. And then he makes that first three after he missed one. And I think he hit four in a row. It was awesome to see Ish Masood really have a huge night like he did. What was it? He had a big one against Baylor, or he hit a big three against Baylor. I was very proud of him. Mm-hmm. Very proud of him to have those moments in, in Madison Square Garden. He was 6 of 11 for th- from three in the tournament. And let's go back in time a little bit here because if you go back to the first, let's say, two months of, the, of this season, Ish had kind of started to drop down in some playing time. I think people forget that. I'll give you a couple of examples here. When we went to the Cayman Islands, he played 15 minutes against Rhode Island, a little less than 10 minutes against Nevada, and 51 seconds against LSU. Wow. Did you remember that? I remember his, I remember his time getting cut down because, I mean, we, man, we thought, you know, maybe he'd, I hate to say like unplayable, but he just wasn't playing well. Right. And so, and so what happened? I can tell you what happened. He started to play with more effort and play harder. If that's the same thing, so be it. He was guarding with more effort and, and toughness and grit and those types of things. And that correlated, too, into him starting to shoot the ball better. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you look at it and he ends up having this kind of year. I, I, I think with Ish... <laughs> you, you just have to say he is a really, really fine shooter when he gets his feet set. Whether it's from two, whether it's from three, whether it's from the free throw line, there's not a lot of difference there, right? He's known as a three-point shooter. The guy missed three free throws the whole season. Unfortunately, a couple of them were in the tournament, right? But he was just – I think he changed over the course of this season as much as anybody from – Starting out, giving him a chance to, eh, he's probably not going to be too much in the rotation. And then all of a sudden he became, you know, one of K-State's most important pieces off the bench. So it was a very unique year for Ishmael. I do want to mention also the K-State women's basketball team. They finished their season with a loss at Washington in the round of 16. They called the Super 16 in the NIT. They fall at Washington 55-48 after... Pretty impressive wins against Wichita State and Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I, the one thing I want to bring up about the women, I'm, I'm hoping we can get Jeff Mitty on this week just to talk about the season. You want to talk about a solid foundation that is laid for next year? Well, that's the deal. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is – with the return of Aoka Lee, with Gabby Gregory, the Glenn, the Glenn twins, um, with also Serena Sundell, the recruiting class coming in, I mean, this foundation has been laid, and it's a strong one. I, I mean, I, I'm just telling you, like, sky's the limit with this with this team next year. And everybody understands the Aoka Lee story that you know, all American, and not not going to play this this past season, and how they had to virtually change almost everything that they were doing, um, and yet be a postseason team. Maybe it wasn't the postseason they wanted. Certainly, the preference would be the NCAA. But like you say, with with Yoki coming back, with all of those other pieces, including Gregory, it's really neat. You know, I'm looking forward to watching her play with Aoka Lee and those other girls that you mentioned. 
Uh, they've got a couple of really fine recruits coming. So, yeah, I, I think the the – well, let's say it this way. Bright days ahead for Jeff Mitty and the K-State women's basketball team. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, just having the Oka Lee back, you're not going to have to just shoot so many threes and you know hope they go in. But, I mean, these players had to work on things that they probably don't work on if they didn't have a Oka Lee. Like, you know, Gabby Gregory's posting up mm-hmm. as a five. And at times she was extremely good at it. Oh, yeah? I mean, she got really good at it. And I think Serena Sandell, her dribble drive to the hoop and scoring and scoring at tough angles and sh- tough shots, she has she has improved greatly with that. And she might not be doing that as much if Aokali is playing. Sure. So she's, you know, I hopefully it's a blessing in disguise where K-State, you know, they work on these things and now, hey, now this, this tool set that they have, we just added a 24-piece to it. Mm-hmm. So it's much more stronger and you have much more options, more ways to score – yeah, I mean, it's bright. Future is absolutely bright for Jeff Mitty's crew. All right, when we come back, we'll get you set for the week that is for K-State Athletics, including, actually, we'll touch on what happened this past weekend with K-State Baseball after this. I looked at the Royals' schedule today. I was like, whoa, opening day's Thursday? you believe that? I can't believe it's already here. Got the Twins at the K at 310 on, on Thursday. Hard to imagine, but yes. That's the interesting part about playing this late into March. Um, it seemed like a blink of an eye, right? I mean, this 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 gone fast from especially from you know the the conference tournament time to now. It just I mean, we're on the road, turn around, come home for a day and a half, and <laughs> boom, you're gone again. Well, I want to take this time to congratulate K State baseball on their series sweep. Yeah, their first sweep of the Oklahoma Sooners since 1990. White asked me the question on how old I was in uh, in the spring of 1990. I was like, "Well, my mom was pregnant with me at the time, so I wasn't alive." So it's the first time in my lifetime I've seen the Cats sweep the Oklahoma Sooners. But KC now 17 and eight. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, when they lost two or three at Baylor, I was very concerned because it, of course, I, just to be honest, those are two bad losses. Baylor is not a good team this year. And then bounce back at home, which the Batcats have been very solid at home the last few years. And to sweep up Oklahoma, they're down seven to three uh, in the eight, going to the eighth inning, I think, uh, on Sunday. Scored four. Great comeback to pull that off. Like I'm like, okay, this might be the springboard this team really needed. That jolt they really needed to now go on the road and compete and and also compete well in the Big Twelve. But they will have Air Force uh, tomorrow and Wednesday on the road. On the road, yeah, out in in the Colorado Springs area. So seventeen and eight, four and two. Think about how you would have felt had they won the Baylor series, not a sweep, but winning two out of three, five and two, eighteen and seven. You know, so they're they're hanging in there. But it, it is a good start. Uh, for this team, um, you go back to the the game on on Friday, a seven to one win, and then a couple of one run games on Saturday and Sunday. And to get that one yesterday, after being down, you know, seven to four and plating four in the eighth and one in the ninth to win it, way to go! That's the way you do it at home. Yeah, it's great to see Owen Borma really solidify his spot as the Friday guy. He's done a really great job since his start against Stephen F. Austin. Cats also have some really strong pieces out of the bullpen that can carry him away. He was uh, he was six full innings Friday night. Good effort. Yeah, it just you know that starting pitching. If they can get consistent starting pitching Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, have some guys that can go some innings and not have to put a lot of stress on the bullpen. This could be a really great year. 
Uh, Tuesday against Air Force is at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock Wednesday, and then it's a three-game series Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Twitten Family Stadium. It gets tougher. Number 24, West Virginia comes to town. Hour two, a Wildcat Insider features at 525, K-State Athletics Director Gene Taylor, and of course more on this legendary run by K-State Men's Basketball is next on Wildcat Insider.